Hello, everybody. Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, and I'm here with my friend, my colleague, one of many, many colleagues who are a lot smarter than me, Dr. Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Joe. It's good to talk to you today. It's good to talk to you. Are you feeling okay? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm, I'm psyched to share this episode with our friends. I don't know how you can stay awake when you're surrounded by so many sleepy, sleepy animals. I know, right? Louis is sound asleep. Oakley also asleep. I guess that that's telling as to how exciting they find my work day. I never actually see my dog move, but every time I look at him, he's somehow rotated 90 degrees into a different sleeping posture. But we're here to talk a little bit of, well, I was going to say science, because that's usually what we do. We talk to cancer researchers about their work. We talk about cell biology. We talk about RNA translation. Is that a thing? Did I say that right? RNA translation? Good job. I'm learning. But today, today's a little different. We spoke with uh, a family, uh, a mom who's gone through a lung cancer diagnosis, a daughter who's been there every step of the way for her. Delaram Cavey is a career member of the United States Foreign Service, and her daughter, Catherine Cavey is in the 10th grade at Edison High School in Fairfax, Virginia, just wrapping up 10th grade. And God, if you don't, their energy really rubs off. Their joy and uh, love and spirit really rubs off, or at least it did for me. It was a pleasure listening to this conversation. Absolutely. And we wanted to talk to a family because it's it's one of the last questions that we ask in every podcast from our researchers is what's what's the message that you want to share? And it's really good, I think, for our researchers and for all of us to hear what's the message that our cancer families want to share. And holy moly, you guys are just going to love Teleram and Catherine as much as we did. They they are dealing with a cancer diagnosis that, and they are going to share with you their journey. Uh, we won't steal their thunder, but I will tell you that you'll be touched by this family. I didn't make it through this podcast um, intact. <laughs> I definitely, I smiled and I laughed and I cried and I'm not really an emotional person, but they they really touched me because they opened up in ways that were just so human and uniquely them. And I'm just grateful, I'm grateful to them and really appreciate them helping us to realize that the science that the folks that we interview all the time on the podcast, this is why it's so important is because of amazing families like this one. So uh, listen in. And Joe, I the message that they shared was all about the support of um, family and faith and community and how much it meant to them during their cancer process. And I think the ACS can be that for people as well. So maybe before we start the podcast, you could share the resources that the ACS has available all the time for everyone. Our website is probably the first place to start, cancer.org. It is a very comprehensive um, a guide for all cancer types. There's a great section, very helpful section for caregivers and family. The 1-800 number, 
227-2345 is 24-7, anytime, day or night. There are people there who are ready to help. Thanks, Joe. I, I'm just reminded all the time about how lucky we are to have the opportunity to talk to amazing scientists and how lucky they are to have the opportunity to be cancer researchers because it's for families like these that they do their jobs. So let's let Delaram and Catherine tell their story. Good afternoon, Delaram. Good afternoon, Catherine. How are you? Good afternoon. We're fine. It's, it's a cold day in Washington, but we, we think spring is around the corner soon. I hope so. Catherine, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Well, it's, it's really nice to talk to you today. Delaram, I'd love to start with you. Would you mind sharing the story of your lung cancer diagnosis with us? Absolutely. Uh, it's not easy to go back to the seven years um, you know, ago when, when this first came upon our family, but uh, I was 44 years old when I was diagnosed. Um, I had just become a single mom about 18 months before that. And my daughters and I were overseas in my assignment in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, where I was working at the U.S. Embassy there in the political section. Um, and I just basically had a cough. Uh, the cough was persistent. I had gone to six or seven doctors in the United States before going overseas. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm still, you know, active, going to the gym five days a week, doing yoga six days a week, fairly highly active lifestyle. But the cough was very persistent and um, it just wouldn't go away. And eventually it was accompanied by some, uh, I guess, fluid that was coming out. It was being very difficult to like sit up straight and, you know, even sleep at night. So, we curtailed that assignment, came back to Washington, six or seven months went by. I continued to visit pulmonologists uh, and no one checked for cancer. No one knew to check for cancer. I'm still living a high quality lifestyle and just the cough persists. So, um, you know, the children were, my daughters were in first and third grade when I just basically got really frustrated. I wanted to start with a whole new team just from scratch. And it was a nurse practitioner who ordered my first scan. The scan came back and everyone said, this, there's no tumor, doesn't look like cancer. Uh, another six months went by, the cough got worse, the fluid coming up got worse. Um, and finally, uh, I don't know, I just got super frustrated. I went to a local Alexandria where we live, pulmonologist and he said, has anyone done a biopsy? I said, no. So he said, listen, I'm going to do like all these blood tests. It was the first time anyone had ordered that. And I'm going to ask for a biopsy. Uh, we're going to need to know exactly what's going on. I need tissue sample. And so they didn't tell me anything about cancer. I never thought about cancer. Well, when the results came back, uh, everyone, literally the surgeon and all the doctors were absolutely shocked. It came back stage four lung cancer. Uh, and so that was, uh, that was very difficult um, to hear. I was 44, it was a complete surprise. But I have to say, looking back, um, it was a pivotal moment in my life. And I think that we've 
turned it into a lot of positives, but it has been a very challenging seven years for sure. Thank you for sharing that. There are a couple of things that really resonated with me. One was the persistence of your cough. And honestly, the other is the persistence of Delaram. I mean, you you were incredibly persistent that entire time over these years saying something is not right. And you continue to go back and back and back to your doctors. And at the same time, you had these two little girls who were just young. And I'd really like to hear from you, Catherine, about your perspective. You were you were really young when your mom was diagnosed. You were in the third grade. And I don't know how much you knew about what was happening with your mom, but it sounds like you were a real support system for her and your sister, while she was even younger, she was as well. Is is there something that you could share with us about that time in your lives? Well, I felt scared. Um, my sister and I were living with my mom full time and the diagnosis just made me realize, and of course I knew this before, that I did not want to be without my mom. Um, but being a very religious family, uh, we knew that God would pull us through the situation, and we continued to believe in that. I was very surprised because, I mean, I actually remember, I remember the morning after the biopsy. Uh, I sat in uh, Jacob Nyman's office. He's still a friend. And he looked at me. He was, like, shaking. And he said, it's stage four. He, he's the one who broke the news to me, stage four lung cancer. And it, everything was just, like, you know, in slow motion at that moment. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and the first thing I said as tears were flowing and I just didn't know what I couldn't even think about what to say. The first thing I said was, is it contagious? Can I give it to my kids? Now, I know that might be like a ridiculous question now, seven years. I didn't know anybody with cancer. I didn't know, you know, and I just I was so the first thing on my mind was, how do I protect my kids? You know, and that's how it's been you know, the whole time. And I was also very surprised that when I told the children, the first thing they did is they went into their little room, they came back, we still have a copy of this too. They drew me a poster with like a three-headed dragon. They said, mom is gonna slay this cancer. Uh, they never they never cried in front of me. Uh, they never like, you know, showed me any tremendous fear. I mean, we I think we've always had a healthy sense of the reality of the battle. But I'm very thankful that our grounding has been in the church and we've had so many members of the church surround us, lift us up, pray for us. And my daughters have been, I think all three of us have grown closer to the Lord and we just feel like, you know, um, we have been scared, but we haven't doubted much that it's in his plan. And that has been a tremendous source of comfort for us. And I'm very impressed with the children too. What an awesome team you all are. I love the visual image that your girls came to you with the picture of this three-headed dragon and said, mom has got this. And just how reassuring it is to feel that you've got the support system that began for you with your family and then extended into your community. 
one of the things that you said was so interesting, and that was that your first fear was, is this something my girls could catch? Because lung cancer just wasn't on your radar. And that's something I'd like for us to touch on because this is something we think a lot about at the American Cancer Society. And that is that there's a large proportion of lung cancers that are diagnosed in individuals like you who never smoked. It's not on their radar. This is growing over time. We know that in the United States, about 20% of women who were diagnosed with lung cancer were never smokers and about 7% of men. So when you say that lung cancer was never on your radar, is that why? And maybe is that right? Is that something you could tell us more about? Absolutely not. I mean, you have to imagine this. I was a newly single woman, okay? Uh, I was like, literally, I was at the Gold's Gym like five times a week, okay? (laughs) You know, I had a very active lifestyle. Uh, I was doing yoga six times a week, you know, swimming every day, like very fit. I'm a retired classical ballerina, like very fit. We eat very healthy, I mean, I never thought, like, I mean, I was just like, what? But it wasn't just me. It was also the doctors. The looks on their faces, was they were just as shocked as I was. Catherine, I'd love to hear a little bit from you. Are there challenges that you and your family have faced together that you'd be willing to share with us? Well, there's always a lot of uncertainty and fear, especially, for example, around waiting for cancer scan waiting to hear back for the results of a scan um but in my family what we have done is that we've grown closer together in meeting those challenges on a daily basis and we found actually that when covid first came uh, to the united states we were more prepared than most families to deal with the uncertainty and fear because of what we had been previously exposed to due to the cancer journey um As a family, we are grateful for every day that we have together. I'm grateful for every day that I get to spend with my family. And we live our best life and we really strive to make a difference in this world and we really don't limit ourselves. I guess essentially when COVID came, it was just another layer of uncertainty and restriction. (laughs) So, you know. Right, but we knew how to deal with those. (laughs) We'd already been living like that for six years. (laughs) You know, I love that. What a great silver lining to put on COVID. We've got this. This is not a big deal for our family. We've talked to so many cancer families who've said that they were already enjoying time together and that the pandemic gave them more time to be together, to really enjoy each other. I think that many families have felt that, but especially our cancer families. And Catherine, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about that's so impressive to me is that you've been through this challenging situation with your mom's diagnosis, and you've really done some amazing things in these seven years. One of those is that you've created a way to raise awareness to help other individuals who might face a similar diagnosis to what your mom's been through. 
Um, so let me back up a little bit. We know that individuals who have never smoked um, often have fewer mutations in their DNA who than as compared to individuals who have smoked. But it turns out, and this is something we know from research, that mutations that individuals who have never smoked can turn out to be really important when it comes to their risk of actually developing lung cancer. So we call those driver mutations. And this word driver means exactly that. They're actually driving the cancer. And we know that about half of these individuals, these never smokers, have a mutation in a gene called epidermal growth factor receptor. So the abbreviation is called EGFR. And in these people, less than about 10% of them have this mutation. So you developed a poster to help raise awareness because this, while this is a small group, it's critically important. I think our audience would love to hear more about your poster and what you've done. Uh, being a 10th grader at Edison High School here in Fairfax, Virginia, all 10th graders have a personal project in which they can choose their own topic to research and then produce a product or an outcome. Uh, of course, as previously stated, uh, my mom had a cough for two years and she went to six or seven doctors in which no one looked for cancer. No one thought to even order a scan or a biopsy. Um, therefore, it was caught at stage four, which is the latest stage for lung cancer. What I want to do for my project is I want to raise awareness for the early detection of specifically EGFR because I want to prevent this from happening again. I want this EGFR lung cancer mutation to be caught at an earlier stage to lessen the effects and to make the patient have a better experience. Um, for my, my poster is mainly designed for patients to read the poster and recognize the symptoms within their own self. For example, a persistent cough, pain in their back or fatigue, and then to ask their doctor directly themselves to order a biopsy to see if they have lung cancer because of the EGFR mutation. Currently, to, my, to the best of my understanding, there is no protocol for early detection of EGFR. I mean, essentially, all those hours and hours of waiting in the exam room with the door closed. <laughs> so I said, hey, I think if you put something up on the wall, a patient will have plenty of time to read it. <laughs> so, you know, we're not trying to convince the doctors because we're not doctors. We just wanted to inform the patient to raise their hand and say, can I have a biopsy, please? Right. And I, I created this poster digitally in which I made it a PDF copy and sent it. I printed more than 100 copies and I sent it to pulmonologists and internal medicine doctors all across Virginia. Wow, that's really awesome, Catherine. Delorama, I know you must be so incredibly proud. Yes, I am. I'm, I just want to say that Catherine is the first individual from either side of the family to even get a Bachelor of Science degree, okay? So you got to understand how earth-shattering this is. Not only is she going, she's actually applying to Johns Hopkins Biomedical, okay? Um, but 
nobody on either side of the family has anything other than a liberal arts degree. <laughs> so I have to say, uh, I am a hundred percent sure if it wasn't for this, you know, cancer battle with me going in and, you know, constantly doing experimental medicines and trials and all these things, there is no way that science would have come into our family to this degree. And so I do see an incredible silver lining for her. Also, her younger sister is going into another kind of engineering. So that to me is a humongous blessing as a mom. So do you think that's true, Catherine? Is, um, is that something you could expand on? Maybe how your mom's um, cancer experience has impacted your career goals? Uh, yes, as my mom has said, I do want to study biomedical engineering. I want to go to Johns Hopkins to do that. Um, but I was really inspired by the treatments that my mom was taking and still is taking. And I was inspired to create more effective treatments to negate the EGFR mutation. Let me just say this. When I was spitting up all that stuff and they were like, you know, first and third grade, I was literally walking around with a Kleenex box all the time, right? So I didn't want to scare the kids. I started calling it Spidey Spit, right? I mean, what was I going to do? I did not want to put the burden on the children. So I started calling it Spidey Spit. So I made a game of it for the kids. And so then when I got into the clinical trials and all these things that had to happen and still do happen and all, you know, as they grew and I took them on campus at Georgetown and all of this, I guess they started getting into science and then they started watching The Flash and then they started saying, mom, you know, you're like The Flash, you're getting stronger and stronger. So we made it, we made the story into a science fiction story and I was the hero and the doctors were, I guess, like the people putting the new advanced, you know, get moms getting stronger and better, you know? And so I turned it into this for my children, for it to be more palatable and less scary. But over the years, it just really took. And I mean, I, one of my hashtags is six, is six million dollar woman, because I think by now I've had probably six million dollars worth of medicine into me. <laughs> so we're, we, we are putting our own touch to this journey and we choose to hold our head up high and make the most of it and to normalize this experience. And it is actually a pretty cool scientific journey. I didn't know anything about science, but finding like, you know, these drugs that negate the mutations, that's pretty cool. You know, so that's kind of the, the journey that we've been on. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that you're the hero here. So. You know, I'd, I'd love to know, Delaram, you've shared a lot with us, but if there's a message that you could actually send back to yourself maybe seven years ago, what would your advice be? Very clearly, believe the diagnosis, not the prognosis. Wow. And so you've shared so many helpful stories about how you've been a mom, a cancer patient, how this has changed you and your family for the better. Is there advice? that you would have for other parents who are dealing with a cancer diagnosis and how they share that information with their own kids. This is a challenge that unfortunately, a lot of other families face. So basically all three of us are in therapy. We do liberally use all of the mental health resources that are afforded to us. 
Um, my children are receiving telehealth from Life with Cancer, which is here in Virginia. Um, I also have weekly therapy sessions. I think it's very important to take care of your mental health. I think it's very important to basically look at it realistically and say, okay, if I live my every day as if it could be my last day, what different choices would I make? And that's what I did. And I can tell you that if you edit and edit and edit continuously improve your life, you wake up every day and say, I'm so blessed to be alive today. I do not know what tomorrow will bring. So today I'm living in the moment. I'm going to make the best choices for my best life today. And I did that with my knees shaking. And seven years later, I have my absolute best life. I still live in uncertainty, but a lot, I've changed a lot about my life. I've grown bolder, fiercer, I believe smarter and in every way. And I think that that example has helped my kids to reach for the stars Younger sister is on track for the Naval Academy. Aerospace engineering wants to go to NASA. I mean, we've had mentors come to support my kids. These are tangible goals for these kids. And so I think really it's about conquering fear. And I don't think it's a fair thing to put all the fear onto the doctors. To me, my medical team, their job is the medical stuff. And sometimes I have to say to them, you know, hey, you know, you can tell me about the scans, about the drugs, but you cannot tell me what will happen in the future because that's, that's not your job. You know, that's, that's, that's between me and God. And so I don't live in fear. I choose not to live in fear. And so I would say, and I always say on my social media, don't wait for a stage for cancer diagnosis to live your best life. Uh, live it today. And and it is possible to make choices um, that improve the, the quality of your life every single day. You know, I was just sitting here thinking before you said that, this is advice for everyone. This isn't advice just for, for cancer patients, and which is fantastic because our listeners are the cancer community, um, which are survivors and caregivers and, and everyone, which is all of us. And I would just like to say something special for uh, working people who get diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. You know, um, I think the assumption is that, you know, you're older, your kids are out of the house and you're not the wage earner. None of those applied to me. And so I I'm very, very happy that one of the, you know, side issues that I've been working on in the last seven years is to raise awareness for people with disabilities in the workplace. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a new thing, but I actually have registered as a disabled officer in the state department. The state department does have a reasonable accommodation office. Um, my colleagues have donated leave to me on several rounds when I need to be out for stabilizing the cancer. And I'm coming back working on challenging assignments. And so I think it's very important for those of us in the cancer community to not uh, just basically sign our life away when we have a battle. You know, you can battle, you can raise your kids, you can earn wages, you can do it. Uh, And, you know, obviously everything in moderation, I'm not doing 
uh, on reasonable assignments, but hearing the word cancer and the diagnosis of stage four cancer does not have to mean that you go over there, sit in the corner and, and get ready to die. And in fact, the more life you live, the more, you know, you're contributing to your own health and not sitting there all day thinking about what does this mean for me? And so uh, I do hope that other people with a stage four lung cancer diagnosis, I'll continue to also push for normalizing these conversations, both in the workplace and in the family. All right, Catherine, I, I know the last seven years haven't been easy, but I know you've learned a lot as well. I'd really be interested to know if there's a message you'd like to share with kids who are in a similar space or who maybe tomorrow or next week may have the same conversation that your mom had with you and your sister seven years ago. I know it can be scary. I was in the third grade when my mom was diagnosed, but what you need to do is you should remain positive and keep hope that things will get better and that there are wonderful treatment options and you need to live a full life, which is good to keep in mind. Uh, as my mom has said, I take full advantage of my therapy with life with cancer and it is important to not carry the fear alone. Professionals are ready to help navigate the emotions that come with cancer. So it's important to share that with other people. Yeah, don't carry the burden alone. There's a whole community. Well, you two are just absolutely delightful. I wish oh, you thank you. hang out. Is there, is there anything else that you would like to share? One thing that resulted from this cancer journey so far is that both my sister and I have been, well, we've gotten really interested in science fields. I want to study biomedical engineering and my sister aerospace. Because of this, we have created a service initiative called GOMENA, which stands for Girls of Middle East and North Africa. The website is gomena.us. Uh, our goal is to create pathways for girls from our immigrant diaspora to pursue successful careers in engineering fields. We work with uh, middle schools through high schools and universities into engineering companies to allow those girls to achieve those engineering careers. Like BioNTech, you know, they're immigrants and, uh, you know, uh, we, we just really feel inspired by, by these initiatives. And, um, you know, I think that we're action oriented family. When this battle came to us, we decided to do something about it. And whether or not I, you know, win or lose or how many more years I have or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I have one daughter who is coming after EGFR. Okay. I, I can't do it myself. I'm not good at math and science and I'm older, but she's coming, but I'm doing my part in my own way as well, uh, especially in the workplace and for moms. And, you know, we're very grateful that this podcast will hopefully send our message to ears that need to hear it. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're very happy to continue to speak and to encourage everyone. Well, I couldn't agree more. Best of luck to you and um, just best wishes to your precious family. Thank you so much. Thank you.